Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast, presented by Canon Press. Welcome to the podcast, episode 285. I'm Douglas Wilson. Good to have you with us. So, um, a few weeks ago, as you're listening to this, a few weeks ago, Donald Trump was indicted by a federal prosecutor uh, regarding his possession of various classified materials that he took with him when he left the White House. Now, I'm not going to get into whether this was, uh, whether Trump's behavior in this was sloppy, malicious, bad, disorganized, defensible, where he had declassified them all as president and so on. I'm, I'm not going to get into all of that. I want to simply talk about the story arc, the big picture story arc. This is a terrible situation. And this is terrible. Why? Because what kind of country, right now, currently, as we speak, uh, Trump is a declared candidate for the Republican nomination. There are other declared candidates. More and more are piling in. There's Nick, Nikki Haley, and there's uh, Ron DeSantis, and there's you know other people. So there's a there's a field of candidates running for the Republican nomination. But with that said, Trump is by far and away the front runner. He he looks like he's leading the pack in a big-time way. Now, there are two things that could be going on here. The, the progressive insistence that Donald Trump be indicted could be a very tricksy move, or it could be just a, move, a very, very stupid move being conducted out of sheer malevolence. This might be the shrewdest of moves. It might be the dumbest of moves. The shrewd move would be this. The Democrats believe that Trump is uh, likely to win the nomination, but they want to make sure that he wins the nomination because they believe that Trump's base can really help him in a Republican primary, but that in the general election, they have a lot more going for them. That means they believe that Donald Trump is beatable by them, which they said, we see, we did it with Joe Biden. We, Joe Biden uh, beat him. And we're, we just won't go down the rabbit hole of, did he beat him fairly? But they, they can point to that and say, uh, what we did with Biden beating Trump, we can do with Biden again or somebody else beating Trump. We, we know we can beat Trump. We think that Ron, in the general election, we think that someone like Ron DeSantis would be much more formidable, much more difficult for us to beat. And so we don't want to run against Ron DeSantis. We want to run against Trump, because even though Trump has profound levels of support from his supporters, he also has what you might call high negatives. And those high negatives can be played off of in, the, in a general election. And so that's the tricksy move. The, um, the Democrats say, if we uh, indict Trump, and this is the second indictment, there was the indictment in New York State over the tax thing, uh, over the how he filed taxes, I think some arcane deal. And then there's the handling of classified materials, which is a federal indictment. These indictments are coming 
because they the, in the Trixie move, the Democrats believe that this will profoundly help Trump win the primary. They think that all the all the people who are sympathetic to him are going to you know go to the wall for him, and even the people who don't really like Donald Trump don't like the Banana Republic stuff that's going on of of doing this, and so we'll vote for him as well. So they're trying to help Trump sew up the primary. That's the Trixie move. I don't think that's what's going on because I think the Trump derangement syndrome is far more advanced than that. And I just think I just think they cannot contain themselves and want to see him jailed or fined or assassinated. They just they just come unstuck at the very thought of Trump walking around free, much less being elected president again. So this, uh, in this view, and this is the, the view I tentatively hold, that this indictment is just sheer malevolence. They want to get Trump. They want to take him out. They want to destroy him, and they want to make it, they want to make it impossible for him to run. So what happens, for example, if he is indicted and then tried and then convicted? Does, it, does that disqualify him from, the, you know, the, at, at, the, at best, it's going to be a huge distraction, etc. So that's the thing that I think is going on, that they're indicting him because they, uh, because they hate him. Now, objectively, it really is banana, it, it really is banana Republic stuff. I mentioned that he's the front runner in the primary. The Republicans are currently picking the person who's going to run against Joe Biden or Joe Biden's replacement on the Democratic side. And it is banana republic stuff to have your leading political opponent arrested. What do we say when Hugo Chavez does that? What do we say when Vladimir Putin does that? What do we say when any leader of any other country jails or attempts to jail the leader of the opposition? We call it what it is. So, and this this is why I, I believe that Hillary is. Uh, as corrupt as they come, well, no, she's not the most corrupt. I think the Bidens are are probably more, more corrupt, as re- recent news stories are revealing. But I just think it is really bad form to weaponize your intelligence intelligence agencies and your law enforcement agencies because that corrupts the political process. Now, at the same time, you don't want to say all you have to do is get into politics and. And nobody will ever prosecute you for anything. But if you prosecute an active political leader, it needs to be a stone cold case that nobody would be willing to defend. Always will be God. So, continuing with the podcast episode 285, as we continue our study of amartiology, which is the study of sin, we should reflect on the fact that when we sin, we are sinning downhill. We always sin downhill. As Chesterton once put it, Satan fell by the force of gravity. Our word this week is euperistatos. E-U-P-E-R-I-S-T-A-T-O-S. You say it. So our word this week is that, which means so easily besets. It is found one time in the New Testament. It's a hopox. Hebrews 12.1. It says, Wherefore, 
seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. These Christians are told to lay aside weights and to lay aside sin. Now, what kind of sin? Well, it's the kind of sin that tangles up our feet so readily. Think of a rat's nest of ropes and cords that you're trying to run through. Sin so easily entangles. So it's not just the fact that sin is bad. We also have to remember that in this world, this fallen world, given our history, given our nature, given the fact that our sanctification is not complete, sin, like water, runs downhill. Sin, we, we, if you're running down a hill, down a slope, it's easy to run headlong. So, what's our book review this time around? Well, the book review, I don't normally, because it would be bad form, of course, I don't normally uh, review books that I wrote. And I'm still not going to review books that I, I wrote. But I am going to review a book this time around that Canon Press has just released that I edited. All right. So, I had something to do with this. This is kind of a little baby of mine, but it's not, I'm, you know, so... I edited it. I, I put the selection together, and I edited it together with a colleague, Jason Greaser, who's an instructor at New St. Andrews College. The, the volume here is Calvinist Poetry, 101 Poems from Calvinist Poets. And very um, grateful, John, John Piper was kind enough to write a sonnet uh, as a poetic forward uh, for this volume, and I also provided an introduction that explained the re- my reason for doing this at all. Let me read the first paragraph. The first reason I have for collecting a volume of poems by great English-speaking Calvinists in history is that there will be virtually no competition. This space is wide open. This little book of mine will have that section of Barnes & Noble all to itself. My first goal is to dominate this n- niche market. Well, actually, seriously, I go on to talk about the bad rap that Calvinists have gotten over the years as being thin-souled, aesthetic uh, grouches, right? The easy rap that is made against Calvinism is that it robs people of their artistic soul. And um, there's a lot of, there are many misconceptions about this. And one, But one of the ways I wanted to answer it was by providing examples of High Calvinist artistry, high Calvinist artistry. I also include some of the poems in here uh, that are included are are poems that are more pedestrian. They're not uh, they're not high art. And I'll give you some examples of names in a minute. But I, one of the arguments I make in the introduction is that you can't have great baseball players, great major league baseball pay- players, unless you have a country that is full of sandlot baseball and little league baseball and regional teams and minor leagues. Basically, you have to have an infrastructure of a lot of pe- a lot of people playing ball so that will identify who's got some real talent and they can they can move up the ranks. In some of the centuries past, some of the selections that I that I use here were written by ordinary pastors and they write in common meter which is sort of suitable for setting to music for hymn tune. I include a number of uh, lyrics to well-known hymns in this collection. And that sort of poetry is not 
highbrow, let's say. Uh, some of it is, uh, I didn't include any poems that I thought positively bad, but some of them are pretty pedestrian and some of them are okay and some of them are B-plus stuff. And some of them are, and I and say quite a few of them, I would argue, are some of the best poems, best devotional poems ever written in the English language. So here are some of the people that I included. Anne Askew, uh, a martyr. Richard Baxter, a Puritan writer. Anne Bradstreet, uh, a Puritan woman in New England. John Bunyan, he was not a Puritan, but he was a, a, an independent Reformed preacher. And here's the first big surprise, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, who was a, who was a Calvinist. And uh, it, it, it gives me great joy, for example, to uh, include in a volume of Calvinist poems, Kublai Khan. In Xanadu did Kublai Khan a stately pleasure dome decree. But Coleridge is, was something of an eccentric Christian, but he was one. And, uh, and he had decided opinions in favor of Calvinism over against Arminianism. Theodore Beza, uh, this, is, um, this is a translation of one poem. He, he didn't write in English, but so we fudged a little. Robert Murray McShane, B.B. Warfield, William Cooper, R.L. Dabney, Samuel Davies, Philip Dotteridge, John Donne. Now, some of the, somebody's going to say, wait, hey, 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 John Donne wasn't a Calvinist. Uh, there's, a, there's a little biographical introduction that I, I do for all these poets, and then my colleague, Jason Greaser, has ed- editorial notes on all these poems. And, uh, and there's, there's debate over whether Donne was Reformed or Calvinistic or not. But whether he was Reformed and Calvinistic or not, his poem, Batter My Heart, is a Calvinist poem. Then there's Timothy Dwight, John Flavel, George Herbert. George Herbert is, I think, the uh, supreme writer of devotional verse in the English language. We have a number of poems by him. Henry Vaughan, Mary Herbert. Mary Herbert is um, the sister to Philip Sidney. And she and her brother put together a poetic version of the Psalter. And so there are some selections of psalms from her. Andrew Marvell, whom uh, a number of you have read him in anthologies, Cotton Mather, John Milton, and there's some discussion, was John Milton Reformed or a Calvinist, or was he even Orthodox? Uh, there's, there's good discussion there. But whether or not he was Orthodox, he was absolutely a product of a Reformed and Calvinistic culture, and he was one of the great poets of human history. John Newton, Sir Philip Sidney, Edmund Spencer, Charles Spurgeon, Edward Taylor, Augustus Toplady, who wrote the hymn Rock of Ages, William Tyndall, Isaac Watts, and then there's an appendix um, where I include, there are three poems in the appendix, one by Charles Wesley. So we're in the appendix, we, we made some people honorary Calvinists. Charles Wesley, for his lyrics of And Can It Be, Rabbi Duncan, a, a theologian of Wesley's era, when Wesley wrote, My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Rabbi Duncan said, Where's your Arminianism now, friend? And then we include honorary Calvinist poem, The Destruction of Sennacherib by Lord Byron, who is not a Christian. And then we include a, a, a humble submission from me. So, Calvinist poetry, published by Canon Press, uh, now available. I would encourage you to get it.